yeah, here we go with our case this week. Yes, here we go. That's a little more melodic than usual, but I'm into it. Let's well, go. Well, welcome to Shaken and Disturbed, everyone. Every week I forget to say welcome to Shaken and Disturbed. That's and true. We should immediately maybe... go into singing yeah. for you. So I'm going to be professional this week, and I'm going to say welcome to Shaken and Disturbed, everyone. I'm Darren Carp, along with oh. my co-host, John Thrasher. Hey. hey, everybody. It's me, John Thrasher. Um, I heard in the Facebook group someone got on you for pronouncing Nevada wrong, which I, uh, I know. appreciate. Listen. I, I, I've I've never lived in that state. I don't know any better, and I apologize. I, yes. I will do the best I can moving forward. Well, you know, speaking of doing the best that we can, we just recorded our first <laughs> after show. Uh, it is live. Uh, you guys yeah. need to help us come up with a better name for it. We've gotten some amazing <laughs> suggestions. Speakeasy, After Hours, Last Call. Uh, we're doing our very first ever Patreon live stream on zoom tomorrow uh, monday night for those who are listening uh mm-hmm. when, when we drop this episode for the truly disturbed and the super fan patrons i'm a little nervous john you are why i don't know what they're gonna ask me well and that's I, the and, fun of it and by patreon law i have to answer everything <laughs> that's... there is a patreon law you know yeah so guys yes you're gonna want to you're gonna want to be a part of this embarrassing moment of mine and john's gonna act all pretty <laughs> and probably amazing but you can sign up now and join us monday night at 8 p.m eastern standard time we're gonna send you a private link to you on patreon so definitely be on the lookout for that we want to hear from you as much as possible i'm a little nervous and you can sign up at patreon.com <laughs> shaken and disturbed Absolutely. And maybe one of the things we'll talk about, Darren, which I know you're very excited about, is that tell tell everyone the big news. I don't want to take away your big moment. Well, I texted you this morning because today, as of this recording, we are recording this on a Thursday. So this this is could be old news for you who are listening on late, but Virginia has become has decided to abolish the death penalty. I am very excited about this decision. This is this comes at a, at a, at a major time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's pretty important. Governor Ralph Northam uh, was the one to kind of do it. It became the 23rd state to abolish the death penalty after the governor signed historic legi- legislation into law that ends capital punishment in the Commonwealth. Um, and and I want to say his quote here. Quote, we can't give out the ultimate punishment without being 100% sure that we're right. And we can't sentence people to that ultimate punishment knowing that the system doesn't work the same for everyone. Northam, a Democrat, said ahead of signing the legislation at the Greensville Correctional Center, which houses Virginia's death chamber. Um, so mm. it actually became the first Southern state to repeal yeah. the death penalty since the U.S. Supreme Court reinstated the punishment in 1976. So the new law will go into effect in July, and it comes as a major shift to Virginia, which has put to death more people in history than any other state. Oh, wow. That makes it even more interesting. I didn't even know that. And there's two inmates inmates currently on death row in Virginia. They were going to have their death sentences commuted to life imprisonment. So... Uh, mm. that's, that's good news. At least we can start off today with, uh, yeah. start off and I mean, disturbing case with, yeah. And I mean, you know, this is obviously debatable, you know, some people feel very differently than us, but this is our opinion. It's our show. So we're going to give you our opinion yeah. and yeah, I think it's a great thing as well. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. We just don't feel that state state sanctioned or government you know, country sanctioned murders, uh, make any sense in society in 2021 and way before that. So there you go. So Darren, I'm excited for you. I know that's a very important topic for you before we get into the speaking of important topics, what are we (laughs) drinking? (laughs) So, okay. Remember I told you I won that, 
uh, cooler full of alcohol. Don't I know it. So I dug into it and I found all these white claws. And I know my friend Julie sent me some ideas of what to do with it. She was like, why don't you, because I don't like white claw, by the way. Yeah. Um, she was like, why don't you mix it up with like some fruit and have like a blended drink? And I'm like, oh my God, so smart. Well, I completely forgot to go to the grocery store last night. So I didn't have any fruit. But Darren, I texted you this idea that we could both drink white claws with all I had in my house, crystal light. <laughs> Oddly enough, I had Crystal Light in my oh, house. Oh, good. Uh, good. Not sure when it's from, so if I don't survive past this uh, podcast, we can blame my expired Crystal Light. But yeah. I did have, I ran across the street, I got some White Claw, and I'm excited to imbibe with you today. Thank you for this Yay. recipe. Uh, we're, we're being very basic with this drink, but it I'm okay with basic. it. I'm yeah. okay. By the way, it's not bad. It's like I still can taste a little bit of the White Claw when I sip it, but I don't know. It's fine. Well, it's one of those drinks, and, and, and cheers to you as I take a sip here. Hold yeah. on. Go ahead. It's one of those drinks where uh, I, I, I I feel as if I'm hydrating as I'm drinking <laughs> it. I, I don't know if I am, but I feel I as such. So it's this yeah. placebo effect that's, uh, that's fucked me up, but uh, that's all right. I'm, I'm here for this drink. Okay, good. Well, let's get into the t- uh, today's show. Let's do it. Um, today's case, rather. So on July 31st, 1976... Um, a man picking blackberries discovered the body of 15-year-old Kathy Ka- uh, Catherine Long in the woods near her home in Indiana County, Pennsylvania. Kathy's body was only partially dressed when found, and an autopsy revealed that she had been raped and shot once in the back of the head. So that's like right off the bat, very disturbing details here on Shaken and Disturbed. Yeah, and just immediately reading the case, if I hear something about a shot being in the back of the head, either I think Mm. it's sort of this execution style type of murder, or I think about it as she was probably fleeing the scene. Yeah, well, the gunshot wound specifically was actually not at close range, Uh which was indicating to the medical examiner that the victim may have been attempting to flee the scene as she was shot. So that's a great perception, Darren. It looks like you're a true crime podcaster. You know, you know what? I'm taking another sip of my drink. Go right ahead. You're going to need it for this one. So Kathy was last seen walking home the previous afternoon, sometime around 4 p.m. with her younger sister, Lola. Lola told police that as the two girls were walking, a blue car pulled up to them. The driver said that the girl's brother had gotten into a car accident nearby and that Kathy had gotten in the car with the driver. So here comes this guy in a blue car. He's telling her that the brother is in an accident and he needs they, she needs to come with him right away. Already super sus, if you will. Very sus. Very yeah. sussy. Yes, very <clears throat> sussy. Very sussy. Well, authorities also questioned Kathy's older sister, Patty, and her friend, Patty Liddick, who both said they'd gotten home after Kathy was already gone. Lola described the car's driver as a man between 20 to 30 years old with blue eyes, sideburns, heavy eyebrows, a heavy mustache over his upper lip. And black hair that hung below his ears and curled at the ends. Can, can I just say that whenever yeah. we're giving like composite sketches of stuff, you know, yeah. and it's like, you know, older man between 40 to 60, you know, 20 to 30 years. Obviously yeah. having like blue eyes, sideburns, heavy eyebrows, heavy mustache, all of that is great. Yeah. You, know, you want to know any kind of discernible tattoos they might have, scars they might have, anything to kind of discern it. But I often think like if I was part of a crime, uh, how people would describe me. 
And I have the face of like a 14-year-old person. So I might get away with this, you know, because it's like they're looking for a 14-year-old girl. Well, suckers, I'm almost 33. So ha, 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 jokes on all of you. I agree. I mean, you have you're definitely prime, Darren, to pull get to pull off know, a murder. Pull off a murder, exactly. Yes, it's what I was born to do. Anyway, <laughs> especially with this podcast. Yes. Um, the police went public with that composite sketch based on Lola's description shortly after. One of the many pieces of information police received during the investigation was that a young man named Dennis Fogel, the brother of Louis Fogel, who would later become the police's prime suspect in the case, drove a blue car and had invited a teenage girl to spend the night with him after Kathy's body was discovered. Okay, so uh, this is, it's a little <clears throat> circumstantial. Obviously, multiple yeah. multiple people had blue cars. I'm sure multiple people had invited a teenage girl to spend the night it's unclear the age of this teenager so i'm not trying to say that like you know she was 12 or she was 13 or something like that but this it doesn't necessarily prove anything no definitely not at this point at least well authorities interviewed dennis who stated that on the night of the murder he'd been with his brother lewis at a friend's house then the two had gone to a bar until closing time but a search of dennis's car turned up no evidence so that's what we know so far. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I know that during the last year, it's been very hard for me myself to keep focused and on track with a lot of the things going on in my life. Well, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Well, as you know, John, I've talked about mental health now for years and big proponent of it, Mm -hmm. you know, and and, and the good thing is with BetterHelp, there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. You know, I live in New York City, so I think I have a lot more advantages here, but maybe not in middle America. The service is available for clients worldwide, which is really important. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. So day or night, they are there for you. You'll get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with Mm. traditional therapy, which is very good considering, you know, the state of the world that we're in right now. Right. Absolutely. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so that they, you know, they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. So if there's one that you aren't really connecting with, you can definitely switch it. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living your happier life today. So visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Here's a testimonial for a counselor named Erica. Uh, Somebody said, quote, amazing, affirming counselor. I feel like Erica wants the best for me and believes in me. She is so knowledgeable and so trustworthy, end quote. Visit betterhelp.com slash shaken. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, which is great news, that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Absolutely. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Shaken and Disturbed listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com shaken. Okay, so not much is not much is to be gleaned from this. But on August 3rd, 1976, the police were tipped off about 
Earl Elderkin, one of Long family's neighbors, uh, who resembled the sketch, at least enough. Neighbors saw Earl as a spaceman because he told everyone that he and his children were from outer space. Uh, which... Okay. Which, listen, okay, 1976, right? Bowie. Let's just set the scene. Okay, yes, yeah. Bowie, but also... Drugs were very much so right, popular. Right. Not that drugs aren't popular now. I'm not even insinuating he was on drugs, but like everyone thought they were fucking from outer space in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. So this isn't that weird. Um, investigators were warned, were warned, however, that Earl was a quote unquote a shady character, if you will. Okay, so not only a little bit weird from the outer space, listen, but maybe a little, yeah. little weird. A little shady. I mean, listen, we've all been probably called shady and a, and a little weird in our day. Sure. No, just me, just me. Okay, go yeah, ahead. just you. Uh, moving right along here. <laughs> well, police yeah. questioned Earl, who denied any involvement in the murder. However, when police returned to question him a week later, Earl gave authorities the name of another suspect, whom Elderkin believed resembled the sketch. Mm. Went, but no arrests were made, and the investigation just came to a standstill. Nothing really turned up there. Yeah. Eleven months later, almost a full year later, on July 2nd, ni- 1977, police returned to Earl Elderkin's residence to question him a third time. I imagine they keep questioning him probably because he looks so much like the sketch. And probably, yeah. it's just, he's kind of been put into this pool of suspects here. Now, this time he told authorities that he'd been at a party on the day of the murder. And although he'd been inebriated on THC and beer, not White Claw, <laughs> important to note, not <laughs> White Crystal Claw. Light. With Crystal Light. With Crystal Light. He'd been drifting in and out of consciousness throughout the crime, and he remembered parts of the evening. Mm, okay. So, uh, you know... It, it's a little suspect considering that this is the third time they're interviewing him. And then this time, all of a sudden, they're saying he's, that he's been at a party. Exactly. Yeah. So one of these memories that Earl thinks of is it includes a girl being in the backseat of the car he'd been riding in. And Earl stated that he remembered looking out of the windshield to see a girl running, then hearing a gunshot and seeing this girl fall to the ground. That's okay. pretty big. That's pretty yeah. big. It also makes me think, like, how much beer was this guy imbibing on? Because... Listen, as we all know, I have smoked THC in my day, and I don't think I would ever be so inebriated to not have remembered someone hearing a gunshot, but everyone reacts differently to weed. I'm not saying that that says anything, but weed isn't the type of drug that makes you you have bad short-term memory, but you you, you are like, you're not unconscious. You know, it's not like drinking. You're not getting obliterated in that way. You know, so I mean, this is... Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, this is definitely your expertise, so feel free to really elaborate on yes. the effects of, of such substances. Well, you know, and, and and granted, like, this is all my opinion, and I don't want to yeah, say totally. that weed, the way that weed affects me is the was the way that weed would affect you or affect other people. It could have been laced with something, you know, he could God have had 5,000 yeah. beers, in which case it doesn't matter whether or not he was smoking weed or not, so... All of that is to say, I'm not quite sure that if it was just yeah. weed, he would not have remembered it. But Speaking of weed, before we move on, Darren, there's big news in New York City because they're kind of decriminalizing it, right? Well, it's been decriminalized, but now they're finally on the road to legalization, which was oh, bound okay. to happen considering the fact that New Jersey yeah. just legalized it this last year. And for New Jersey to kind of be ahead of New York in this, uh, That's, considering— yeah. And you can back me up here. When you walk out yeah. of the streets of New York City, you smell weed before you smell oh urine and or garbage. Uh, I think it's pretty <laughs> it's safe true. to say that a lot of New Yorkers are smoking weed, and uh, yeah. it's it's time. So good For news sure. all around there, and we'll be reporting yep. back on it. But Earl identified the shooter as Larry Willover. Now, it's interesting here to me that Earl is sort of saying he remembers looking out of the windshield. His, 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 his memory yeah. is a little foggy, if you will, but he can identify the shooter. 
right? That's a very right. interesting statement. It seems to, that he has yeah. selective memory, if you will. So Larry Wolover, after giving okay. the statement, though, Earl was given a polygraph exam and he failed. Authorities never charged Wolover, and the case stalled for nearly four more years after this. Oh, my this. God. In February of 19— And I think this just goes to show that they probably put too much emphasis on a polygraph exam because, obviously, they're measuring oh, yeah. your heart rate. And if, you know, listen, if you snatch me up to a polygraph exam, I think I've said this before, and you ask me <laughs> my name, I'd probably be pretty nervous to answer my name. If a police yeah. officer came up to me at any given point, even if I was innocent, I'd probably be nervous it- anyway. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of like what I've talked about it on the show, I think even white coat syndrome, which I have, yes, where yes. when you're in a doctor's office, you just get anxious and, and, and panicky. And I've said it before, like when I go into a doctor's office, they take your vitals and your heart, you know, your blood pressure and everything. And they're like, uh, your blood pressure's really high. And I'm like, right. can you just give me 10 to 15 minutes to like calm totally. down? And then usually they take it later and they're like, oh, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, like, right. Yep. Although anyway, you, similar thing, you know, it's just like anxiety. Well, yeah, and a lot of things can produce anxiety, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're guilty and or innocent. Of course but not, yeah. In February of 1981, Earl Elderkin attempted to admit himself to a psychiatric institution, claiming he was experiencing recurring dreams of this murder that he had seen. Mm. He gave another statement to police, claiming 16 men and one girl were present at the scene of the murder. This is this Ugh. is so confusing. On, on February 22nd, 1981, Earl gave police another statement about the crime, claiming that on the night of the murder, a man named John Lynch had restrained Kathy, while another man named Joe Reseski raped her. Oh, my God. So there's a lot more people now. First, he's giving an account of someone yeah. shooting. Now there's 16 people. Uh, now he knows all the names, and, and people are being raped and murdered. Earl yeah. said it. Earl stated that Roseski then took a rifle from the car, shot three times at Kathy, and hit oh her in the God. back of the head with a third shot, which would explain why she only had one bullet wound in her body, uh, mm. but there might have been more gunshots. On March 16, 1981, District Attorney Olson, along with officers Sokol, Steffi, and Walp, suggested Earl be placed under hypnosis to try and gain a more coherent statement from him. This is interesting. Yeah, because it's funny because I feel like in the 70s and 80s, there were lots of like, let's try hypnosis or like, let's try some kind of weird psychedelic uh, technique. And I I just don't know if it really has led to anything positive because I don't know, like just, you know, thinking back to that stuff now as in 2021. But Anyway, Earl was placed under hypnosis by a college professor who was an amateur hypnotist with no formal training in the practice. You gotta love this, right, John? I mean, you you gotta love this. Jesus. I know. So during the hypnosis session, Elderkin gave his fifth different statement about the murder. He claimed to have left the party in a car with 28-year-old Louis Fogel, along with Louis's brother Dennis, and that the three of, the three men drove to Kathy's house, picked her up, and drove to the woods. Now remember, they're not like texting or Snapchatting each other. Like I'm very curious on like how the communication like kind of played out like that. But right. okay, that's that's what he's saying. So Earl claimed that Lewis, then Dennis, raped Kathy in the car's front seat and that Lewis shot her in the back of the head after she threatened to report them to police. So, I mean, just very disturbing, unsettling comments here and descriptions. But the court later determined that the hypnotist had used undue suggestion to obtain statements from Earl that implicated the three men. 
And what I think that's sort of saying here is that he almost kind of like hypnotized and manipulated him into making these statements and maybe they're not entirely true. I mean, well, yeah. Can considering you be- he gave a, 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 a dissimilar <clears throat> statement about two different men, uh, right. you know, a little time ago. So it's all really not adding up here. No, it's not. Well, following the hypnosis session, Earl was Mirandized and then gave another statement to the same effect as the one given during hypnosis. He seemed perfectly clear on the facts this time, and all the uncertainty and haziness of his prior statements seemed to have vanished. Authorities re-interviewed Kathy's sisters, Lola and Patty, as well as their friend Patty, Lydic. Both a sister and the friend are named Patty, by the way, in case that's not very clear here. But however, after being brought to the police, station where they were threatened, intimidated, and deceived by authorities, they were convinced to change their accounts to reflect Earl's statement. And that, and that happens too All often. And it should never happen. And you know, this is the problem when, you know, we kind of we, we we incentivize or we reward yeah. police departments for hitting quotas and solving crimes, right? It sounds so much better for a police department to say, we solved five murder cases this year, as opposed to saying, you know, these five ongoing murder cases, you know, we're still trying to get to the yeah, bottom of sure. it. And that's the problem is that society has now taken into, it's now become a point where we're just incentivizing getting a result, any result. It doesn't even matter if it's the right answer. And that is fucking horrible. You know what else? You know, it makes me wonder, and I just, I'm sure there are people from other countries who can answer this, but, you know, like, obviously this is a very serious thing that's happening in, in the United States, but does this happen in the same way and at the same capacity in other jurisdictions in the world, you know, I other bet. police departments. Yeah, you think so? I bet. It's hard I to mean, say. there's probably more corruption in a lot of other countries. I mean, think of North Korea, maybe even China. Think of African prisons. I'm not really sure. I just those yeah. tend to be not the most fair and just. I mean, the good news is is that we do have a court of law here, and that's never right. going to be 100% perfect, but you know, we have a lot it's of the prisoners best you can in do. this. Yeah. We have a lot of prisoners in the system and we should be trying to help these people as much as possible. I completely agree. Well, the girls now claimed that they were home when uh, with Kathy when she got picked up by the three men in the car, whereas five years ago, they told police Kathy was already gone by the time that they got home. The girls now stated Kathy had been home enough to eat a dinner of spaghetti and meatballs and with her sisters before she'd left with the men, but... The autopsy had shown no such food was in Kathy's stomach. So what's going on here? I yeah. mean, especially to, especially for the girls who are clearly young, but for them to have this specificity of mm-hmm. spaghetti and meatballs and not just saying like, oh, no, she, she had a snack or something before. The specificity yeah. here is what you'd think would make it accurate, but it, but it turns out it isn't. Now, Patty Liddick, the friend, retracted her new statement as soon as she was released oh, from dear. the statement, as soon as she was released from the station. And although authorities tried to enlist Liddick's boyfriend to help ensure she would testify with a new, quote unquote, helpful statement, Liddick actually denied, uh, denied this and defendants ignored mm. Patty's retraction and continued to use her new statement in both written and oral reports. Oh. So now they're just like picking and choosing what they want. Yeah, they're cherry picking or that, you know, that statement fit our narrative of, of, who, of yeah. who did the case. So therefore, we're going to stick with it. And the manner in which the statements were obtained were not disclosed to the defense, the court 
or the jury. Oh no! Yeah, so during her test, during her testimony, Lydic acknowledged that she had given a new statement, but explained that she had simply parroted back what the authorities told her to say, and noted that she was being pressured by the police and wanted to go home. And let me tell you something, especially <sighs> with kids, especially with young adults, and we saw this a lot of like with Brandon Dassey and I was and, just and thinking making, Brandon Dassey making of a murder. Now Brandon, Brandon. Dassey obviously had yeah. he had uh, uh, mental disabilities, he had some yeah. sort of learning disability. And I'm not saying that these people did, but like if you're stuck in a station for 12 hours and you want to go home, especially as a young kid, you're going to say yeah, whatever the gonna... fuck you to get out of there. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah, not, for sure. You're not thinking how this could affect someone else's life, and so it's it's just this terrible system well, that's bad. Yeah, yeah, and not to make a joke out of it, but you know, my white coat syndrome is similar in a sense. I'm like, do whatever you need to do to, to me to quickly to get me, get me out, of, here. out right. of this doctor's office because I have such an anxiety and almost like a phobia of it. And you know, I think it's it's the same similar kind of anxiety because you just you don't kind of know what to expect in a lot of ways. Now, so. on the f- flip side, uh, Kathy's sister, Patty Long, the other Patty here, mm-hmm. testified consistently with her second statement. On March 19th, 1981, so we're talking exactly 40 years ago almost to the day. Uh, we're missing it off by maybe a week here. Police, <laughs> yeah, right. Police questioned Dennis Vogel using threats, intimidation, coercive tactics, and eventually attained a confession that matched Earl Elderkin's almost... To the T, Dennis's okay. confession implicated himself and his brother Lewis. As a result, Lewis Fogel, John Lynch, and Joe Roseski were all arrested and charged with murder and rape. Hmm. Now, it's it's worth noting here that at the time of the crime, Lewis Fogel's appearance was very, very different from the composite sketch the police were working with, which remember uh, yeah. had him, you know, dark eyebrows, dark mustache, an eye color. Lewis had red hair full beard instead of black hair and a mustache. And by the way, you it's really hard if you have dark hair, like you're not going to dye your hair red and make it look naturally, especially in the 80s. Do you know what I mean? Like a natural redhead doesn't It's hard. You, it's really hard to do that. Yeah. Right, exactly. I and think to it's go, worth noting at least, yeah. You know, and just a, it seems like kind of an obvious thing. You know, in February yeah. of 1982, Louis Fogel went to trial in Indiana County Court of Common Pleas. By this time, three men who were in jail with Fogel had come forward to testify that Lewis had confessed to both the rape and the murder. Mm. And at this time, there was no physical or forensic evidence linking Lewis to the crime. Oh, the, perfect. Well, the judge decided to exclude Earl Elderkin's statement from evidence because the hypnotist who obtained it was untrained and had failed to create <laughs> written records of the information given to him by police before oh the God. hypnotism session and the information Earl remembered prior to the hypnosis. So this is like... Uh, All sorts of corruption going on here. No notes are being taken. And in addition, the hypnotism session, get this, John, wasn't even fucking recorded. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so... What the fuck is going on here? Anyone can just say something, apparently, Yeah, at this point, it's like... you. Yeah, sorry not to interrupt you. Um, It's almost as if uh, maybe it didn't even happen, in a sense. It's like if there's no record and the person isn't even a real hypnotist like who is it like the neighbor down the street that has like a a swinging pocket watch like this is insane if a tree falls in a forest you know what i mean and no one's there to hear it doesn't make a sound it's like if no one's there to record it is this an actual fucking confession of something now 
So the judge made note of the fact that Earl had given a plethora of conflicting statements over the course of several years and was a psychiatric patient, which is important to know. He also noted that after Elderkin's statement given under hypnosis, other witnesses had begun to alter their statements to support Ah. the hypnosis-induced statement. So Uh. that seems like odd timing to me there, bud. Well, even more, the details get even weirder because Dennis Fogel's confession was also suppressed by the court as the affidavit containing the confession was said to contain a great deal of misleading information, including failure to note Earl's many prior inconsistent statements, as well as failure to note Patty Liddick's retracted second statement. So there's just a lot of process that's just completely failing this whole murder case. Lewis denied any involvement with the crime and claimed to have spent the day with his parents and brother until going to a bar with his brother at 10 p.m. His parents even uh, corroborated his alibi. Well, that says something to me. Yeah, absolutely. Kathy's friend Patty Liddick admitted that she had altered her initial statement to align with Earl's hypnosis-induced statement, claiming that the authorities, quote, pressured me and I wanted to go home. They told me that's the way it was supposed to be, end quote. This is why police need to wear body cameras and there needs to be cameras, obvious cameras of just everything going on before and after yeah. of this stuff. I mean, it's it's... You know, police and the court of law also needs to be held accountable, too. It's a little bit of like who watches the watchman, right? Absolutely. And uh, and it's important that we are watching the watchman because they can tend to fuck it up. And when they do, lives are ruined that don't need to be ruined. And I think about, I'm sorry, I I keep thinking about the Brendan Dassey. um, Exactly. The interview, it's like if that wasn't recorded, would we ever know? You know what I mean? And how many people out there have been victims of something similar to that? Not that that's necessarily what happened, but you know. Especially the poor alleged. people and people of color. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, this is they're they're the they're the throwaways, right? They're easy to put in jail because no one gives a shit about them, and and they can't disgusting. defend themselves, to right? The they don't have the extent. money or the means or maybe yeah. the education to do that, and it's it's really it's just a trip and not in a good well, way. I agree. On February 26, 1982, Louis Fogel was convicted of second-degree murder and rape and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. The prosecution then dismissed charges against Dennis Fogel, John Lynch, and Joe Roseski, citing insufficient evidence. Lewis had married his wife, Deb, three months prior to his arrest, and following his sentencing, Lewis was adamant about his innocence, spending 27 years filing appeals and seeking post-conviction relief on a number of occasions. I mean, keep in mind that his parents are corroborating his alibi here. And, and you know, and parents, yeah. of course, are, are one to want to protect their kids, and I get that, and that, that, yes. that doesn't necessarily say anything, but... You know, he claimed he spent the day with his parents and his brother. The brother gets off on these charges, and he somehow gets kind of left with this. I'm not saying the brother should have also been charged, but considering the fact that they were all kind of together. Well, in 2003, Fogel's legal team filed a motion for DNA testing that was opposed by the prosecution and later denied in 2006. However, in 2008, the Innocence Project, which as you guys know, if you've been following us for the years now, I'm a big proponent of, the Innocence Project and the Pennsylvania Innocence uh, Project took on Fogel's case and resubmitted a request for DNA testing of the physical evidence in the case. So Mm. it's kind of getting a reinvigoration after everyone else turned them down. Now, in Mm -hmm. 2010, Fogel's legal team and the Indiana court DA began DNA testing, but tests on vaginal, anal, and oral slides collected from Kathy were unfortunately inconclusive. In 2014, DNA testing began on 12 more pieces of evidence, including Kathy's pubic hair combings. 
Mm. And in early 2015, now granted, this entire time, Fogel's still sitting behind bars, okay? Right, yeah. We're able to say this line by line saying a year, but this is another year that this guy is sitting behind bars. And now in early 2015, sperm cells were identified, profiled, and were determined to be from an unknown man, but it was not from Louis Fogel. Oh, my God. In August of 2015, Lovogel's legal team and the prosecution filed a joint motion to vacate Fogel's conviction. And on August 13th, 2015, my dad's birthday, the motion was granted and Louis Fogel was released from prison after being incarcerated for 33 years. I am not even 33 years old yet. I was just going to say, I'm 35. My entire life is if it would have been spent in prison and I'm getting freed today. Lewis went home to his wife, Deb, who had supported his innocence for over 34 years. And on September 14th, Mm. 2015, all charges against Fogel were finally fucking dismissed. And in February of 2017, Fogel filed a federal suit seeking damages against the state. Thank God. Um, yeah, I mean, this was kind of coming insane. off the heels of everything we were talking about. That's why I wanted to open the show today with uh, Virginia yeah. um, abolishing the death penalty because it's stuff like this that one innocent life lost, one innocent life lost is one yeah. too many, and it isn't worth it to even take that risk for it. And, and the fact that he was innocent and sat in prison for thirty-three years, I hope he gets the rightful amount of damages that he deserves. And I'm not even sure that there is a right amount. Um, I was just, you know, I was just thinking that you took the words right out of my mouth. I'm like, how much money? Can because you know there was some kind of like I guess formula for this at least I had heard of one where like you get a million dollars for every year you were in jail but it's like no give ten million dollars you guys ruined someone's life like what I mean I don't know it's just so disturbing and sad and I'm glad that we're focusing the our attention on some of these cases. And Darren, this was your idea actually to do this episode. So thank you for bringing light to it. Yeah, well, we got to thank Megan, of course, who really brought in the right right research for this and, and highlighted yeah. it on the Innocence Project because we all kind of worked together in wanting to highlight yeah, this. Um, and, and, and it's really important. But, you know, it just goes to show as we kind of go down the lines about this, like I'm not telling everyone what to think or what to feel. And I get sort of this emotional response behind it. But um, mm-hmm. if Louis Vogel had been put to death, that would have been... And, and and countless others, you know, it's it, it would yeah. be a tragedy for this for the United States, and uh, I really yeah. don't want to encourage an environment in which we can make that mistake again. So exactly, yeah. And the mistake seems to happen way too often. Let's let's be honest. Unfortunately, it does. Yes. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, Darren. I'm going to edit okay. that out. So let us know what you think about today's episode. Do you have an Innocence Project case that you find very interesting or worth uh, us checking out? We're happy to look at those, and we would love to bring light to more of these in the future. You can tag us at Carpe Darren and at Jay Thrasher across the social media. Yeah, and with that, actually, John, because you bring up a good point, you know, this is really a collective effort, especially in podcasting, and we obviously want to hear from you. So if you guys have something, a case that we haven't highlighted that you want to see us cover an innocence project case, maybe not an innocence project case, just anything, please send us suggestions because we are more than happy now that we have our own sort of independence here. We're, we're able to kind of take those stuff on a lot more than we were used. We we used to be able to. And so we really encourage you guys to have a a stake in the game here. We want to hear from you. 
You can also post it in our Facebook group, by the way, which Absolutely. we're still very active in. Um, let's talk to some of our fans, Darren. Let's share some of their shout outs or, yeah, you know, give them some shout outs here. I'll start with Mariah on Twitter. She says, just realized hashtag martinis and murder is finished. I'm only on episode 47. No, bitch. <laughs> which I just thought was so funny, like the way she said no, bitch. But we replied to Mariah, both you and I did, Darren, to let yes. her know that while Martinis and Murder is over, it's okay because Shaken and Disturbed is here for you the minute you're done with that show. Yeah, we're we're still drinking here, people. I still got yeah. I still got a quarter of my white claw left. Don't you worry. <laughs> I know I have I've barely touched mine, but yeah. Well, Brianna on Twitter wrote to me and said, I was not expecting a reply, so I have nothing witty to say, but y'all really make my days better and help me get through mm. my dumpster fire year by binging almost all of Martinis and Murder. I can't wait to listen to your new pod when I finish. Oh, uh, Brianna, thank you so much. I mean, that's the thing too, is like I feel like people are because because podcasting, because this isn't really evergreen, you know, you could kind of listen to these these yeah. cases whenever. Um, we're sort of getting these latent, uh, some fan love for Martinis and Murder. And we just appreciate you guys coming over to our independent one and, and yes. supporting us through all these years. We, we really can't say it enough. In fact, you know, because we started a Patreon, we wanted to shout out some of our newest Patreon supporters. Yes. Uh, so here's here, here's me doing this one this, this week. Yeah, you're doing it this week. Yep. We got Mel, Justin, Caitlin, Alejandra, Samantha, Tracy. We have Sierra. Very pretty names. So this is... Yeah, uh, those are good names. I love those names. We have the best names uh, on our podcast, (laughs) the best fans. But seriously, thank you guys so much. And for those who are doing the Truly Disturbed here and above, we will absolutely see you tomorrow night, Monday, for our uh, exclusive live stream with John and I. (laughs) Do not forget to rate, review, subscribe to Shaken and Disturb wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews, even if bad, we don't want to say, we want you to be honest, but like (laughs) those reviews really help us in so many ways and and give us the confidence to kind of keep going and and push this podcast to the head of the crowd. So again, thank you so much to those who have already done it. And guys, this has been such a fun show. We're looking forward to seeing you guys on the Patreon live stream. And Darren, off we go. We're going to have another episode on Thursday. And it's just full steam ahead with all the shaken and disturbed goodies. If you're a fan of our show, now's a great time to enjoy everything because we're in overdrive. Did you say we were going to have another case on Thursday or Sunday? I'm sorry, I meant Sunday. What am I thinking? I was like, what did we do? We record on Thursday. Today's so Thursday. Like, oh, don't I know, confu- I'm a mess. John, one White Claw. I mean, you are a cheap I was going to say, let me go chug this White Claw and I'm going to go. So. Such a cheap date. But thank you guys so much. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.